Breitbart News Daily Podcast. Full show on Sirius XM every weekday morning from 6 until 9. Usually we play the first segment of the show, but in this case we're going to play the first segment from the third hour of the show where we talk about these mass graves. These mass graves of indigenous children across Canada. And we'll get the true story. Then we'll talk with uh, someone who's been actually following the Ken Paxton, Attorney General of Texas impeachment trial that happened yesterday and started yesterday. Um, so what what are the real accusations? I hate when I read these articles and they don't say what the accusations are. Well, it's like, what, what are we doing here? What, what kind of article is this? If you're not telling me what the accusations are, what the proof are of the accusations. So I had a lot of questions and we found an amazing guest to help us with all that. We'll do that. And then Alex Marlowe, his new book is coming out. It's available for pre-order right now. It's called Breaking Biden. Please uh, go get that right now. We'll talk with him a little later in this podcast as well. But first, the mass graves in Canada. Let me give you another story. This is... This might be one of my all-time favorite stories of media and the timing of it's perfect because I get to share it again here because we have an update. The media making up a story and then running with it and it takes on a life of its own. And then people, things happen because of the made-up story and then that becomes the story. And then something else happens in response to that and then that becomes a story and people even forget what the initial story was about. And no one goes back and is like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> like, did that even happen? Because we're way past it now. So you remember a couple years ago, it's about two years ago, there were all these churches that were burned to the ground in Canada. Churches engulfed in flames, burned to ashes. The final number was 68. 68 Christian churches all across Canada burned to the ground what in the world happened there so here is the argument in the 1800s canada the government had these boarding schools for indigenous kids so they take the indigenous the natives and they were put into these boarding schools and they were taught the western way of life and a lot of these schools were run by churches. And to, to, are you with me today on how horrific this already is? Like to a progressive's mindset, like the idea of taking an Indian and teaching them how to be a Westerner is, oh, you're, you're removing them from their culture and your team, all this stuff, right? Because right now the left, it's all about the, the native ways of knowing. Have you ever heard that term before? Ways of knowing. So the Western way of knowing is, is backwards and wrong. It's the natives who had the real way of knowing so that alone the fact that we would that anyone would put a native into a, an american or a canadian school is uh is, is terrible sin so a lot of these schools were run by churches and a lot of kids died when they were in school so that alone we're supposed to look at this and be like oh the kids were murdered <laughs> but a lot of people died in the 1800s for a lot of different reasons especially kids so people have been finding these mass graves 
where these schools used to be. So there's all these movies that we've made up in our head about the genocide of the indigenous people because we have these unmarked graves at churches. Now, that was the first thing you heard, unmarked graves. Now, my first thought was, well, geez, I don't know, this is 200 years ago. <laughs> maybe, maybe they were marked, and like now that's, they're not marked anymore. But that, I mean, that, that unmarked is different than mass. You with me? An unmarked grave is different than a mass grave. But they wanted to create this, this perception in your brain that they just dug a hole and they threw in the indigenous kids and whatever, we moved on. We murdered him. We murdered the indigenous kids, threw him in a hole, put some dirt over it, and that was the end. But unmarked is different than mass. So if people were so angry at this, they burned 68 churches to the ground. I saw one BBC story about this, and it was all about uh, these churches that were on native, sacred native land. So people came in and they burned the churches because the church did an evil thing, and we got to remove the church. But the, art, the story was about the indigenous people who lived next to the church, who loved the church. So they, they went to the church. So the, the people, it wasn't the land that was sacred. It was the church that was sacred. And you people just burned it to the ground. And we never knew who was lighting these fires, but surely there were some far left activists. The British Columbia ACLU, there's this woman who, who ran it there. There was a story about two more churches, two more Catholic churches that were burned to the ground. And this head of the ACLU wrote on Twitter, she said, burn it all down. Burn it all down. Why? She is a self-described community organizer and campaigner in migrant justice, feminist, anti-capitalist, abolitionist, and anti-imperialist movements. Now, what does all that really mean? Right? What does all that mumbo-jumbo mean? Migrant justice, feminist, anti-capitalist, abolitionist, anti What is that? That's all anti-Christian. That's what it really means. They don't say that one out loud, but that's the, that's the, that's the final goal. <laughs> that's the unspoken final goal. All of this culminates in anti-Christian. I assure you that that is the final purpose of it all. Why do I know that? For a fact because every Marxist movement in the world has always been anti-Christian. That's the ultimate goal. And they know that's the ultimate goal because as Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. Marxists have known this for all of history over in China. Uh, President Xi knows this. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve Jesus and the government. So God has to go. So the, how do I visualize, how do I explain this? They say the goal is to end capitalism. The real goal is to end Christianity. And the means is racial division. Let me flip it around. They divide based on race. That's the first division, the first chasm. Divide on race. They throw all this other stuff in. Like this, this uh, ACLU person, migrant justice, feminist, anti-imperialist, anti-colonial, whatever. They throw all that stuff in there just because. But the final goal, the culmination of all this, is to end Christianity. That's your true Marxist revolution. Because once you end Christianity, then everyone can serve just the one master. 
Okay, so that's the beginning of the story from two years ago. What's the latest? Well, actually, let's go. Let's go back to one year ago. So again, it was people burning down churches, and then Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, he's asked about burning all the churches down, and he's like, "Yeah, you shouldn't do that, but <laughs> the anger is real." It's a real quote of his. He says the anger is real. People have gone decades and even generations living with intergenerational trauma with outcomes and institutional racism that has created extreme difficulties for indigenous peoples across this country that are also the legacy of residential schools. So these are called residential schools. So yeah, we shouldn't burn churches down, but you have to understand that there's intergenerational trauma caused by these residential schools and these mass graves that have been discovered at these schools, at these children, these hundreds of children these mass graves all over Canada, churches all over Canada had these, these schools and have mass graves of children. And, and I understand the anger, says the Prime Minister. All of this was based off of one school. It was a year before anyone said, wait a second, <laughs> are there mass graves all over the country? It took a year before people finally started to question the, the beginning narrative of all of it. Are there mass graves? And the person who initially made this claim says, well, we do know at this one school there are the remains of 215 children. It's 215 children. Indigenous children at this Christian school. Are there? This woman made this claim without a single bone or any remain at all ever being recovered at any location. Even this one in particular is the only one that she even claimed to have ever looked at and said there's 215 children and not one single remain at all. One bone, I guess bone would be the only thing you would find, right? Not one bone has been found. Nothing. The Canadian press, every year they have their person of the year. It's like our Time Magazine, person of the year. Canada has their person of the year. In 2021, you want to know who the person of the year was? Children who never returned from residential schools. I cannot express enough how big of a deal this was in Canada. The person of the year was all the children who never returned from residential schools, all the indigenous children who were thrown into mass graves. And the truth was, not a single grave was ever uncovered. Not a single bone was found. It never happened. It never happened. You think, well, hold on, hold on. What do you mean? Where, where would this claim have come from? How could she say there were 215 children buried? Because that, that creates the perception in one's mind that, what do, you, what do you think happened? How could someone make that claim? There's 215 bodies, uh, children that were buried at the school. We think, okay, well, they dug up the ground and they found bones and they did some DNA testing on them and they found 215 unique bones. Nope. <laughs> no, didn't do that. Didn't do that. 
she used, this is an archaeologist, she used ground-penetrating radar. And this is from her report. Ground-penetrating radar and found, quote, depressions and abnormalities in the soil of an apple orchard near the school. Hold on. Impressions in the soil? This whole thing is based off of depressions in the soil? You mean you didn't dig? Let's just stop there. Isn't that amazing? I, I, I'm so fascinated by the reality that people can be, can so, can have, can be lied to and then someone grabs that lie and, has, and holds it so tightly. They have this deep conviction that this thing happened to the point where we have to burn churches to the ground. The fact that a lie can penetrate the consciousness of nearly everyone in a society where the government can have a truth commission, which does nothing but spread the lie even further. And it's based off nothing. Based off nothing. They never dug. New York Times, horrible history. Mass grave of indigenous children reported in Canada. No, 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 no. No mass grave at all. Again, that was what we talked about a minute ago. They first started saying uh, unmarked graves. And the, the perception they wanted to create was the mass grave. Well, there, forget perception. There's the New York Times headline. Mass grave of indigenous children reported in Canada. There was no mass grave. Never happened. Impressions in the soil, maybe. Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights. A large-scale human rights violation. The UN urged Canadian authorities and the Catholic Church to conduct thorough investigations in the discovery of a mass grave containing the remains of over 200 children. Nope, not a single body was ever, not one. Amnesty International said that the persons and institutions responsible for the remains that have been found must be prosecuted. China called for an investigation into the human rights violations in Canada. China jumped all over this, of course. But do you see it? Do you see how a lie can be told and it takes on a life of its own? It never happened. They never dug the ground until just the other day. And here's the latest of this amazing story. They finally took a shovel to the dirt. I don't know why they didn't do this right away or like why the church didn't do this right away or why like no one just started digging. Well, I know why they didn't dig. Like I know why the people making this claim didn't dig. Why would you want to prove? <laughs> I mean, like clearly they were lying. So they wouldn't want to do anything more. Oh, well, there's impressions. We don't want to disturb the remains. Right? So I see why they wouldn't want to. But why wouldn't the person who runs the church be like, ah, oh, no, there's no remains here. Give me a shovel. Get to work. But they finally did. They dug up this mass gravesite of Aborigine children or whatever they're called. Are they Aborigine or is that only in Australia? Native children. You want to know how many remains they found? They said there were hundreds. There were hundreds, thousands across all of Canada. Now note, 
they only did the impressions on one place. They didn't do impressions in, in hundreds of different locations. They just assumed because there's impressions in this one church that there must be in all these churches. And that's how they got to thousands. So they dug up. They dug up the dirt. Not one. Not one. What an absolute scam and hoax that everyone fell for. And everyone went crazy about burning down churches all because of a lie. It was nothing. The Pope, the Pope said, I humbly beg forgiveness for the evil committed by so many Christians against the indigenous peoples. Never happened. Canada now has a national holiday called the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. It's coming up. It's the end of September. It's the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation about a story that never happened, about a thing that never happened. What are they going to do on September 30th? Now that we know there was no, there's no remains. It's not, it's not a thing. It's a made up, not real thing. Are they, gonna, are they still going to have a national day for truth and reconciliation? Wow. Trudeau said that the, uh, the vandalism and arson is wrong. But the anger is out there against institutions like the Catholic Church. It is real and it is fully understandable given the shameful history we are all becoming more aware of. Never happened. And I believe their answer will be, yeah, but still. So I bring this back. I mean, we can bring it to COVID. Did you see what Trump, or not Trump, Biden did yesterday with uh, COVID? So Jill Biden has COVID, so Joe has to wear a mask, whole thing, right? So he had a Medal of Honor ceremony for uh, a veteran. Walks in with a mask. The, the war hero was forced to walk in with a mask. They go up on stage together with masks. Then Joe takes the mask off when he's talking to the podium, and then he has the mask off when he goes up and gives the guy's medal so he's like right next to the guy takes the mask off and then he leaves the stage and the war hero puts the mask back on it's like total joke total joke but we've all lived through it we see what a lie we see the, the, the life that a lie can take on and we saw it I, i'm seeing it potentially looking forward to see more of the trial it's just how it's being presented in the media i see a pattern here of ken paxton the attorney general in, in texas not taking an official stance yet got to see the trial but the media never reports on any of the accusations. They're like, hmm, that's weird. This Enrique Tario guy, whatever, the head of the Proud Boys, not a single accusation in the paper. Nothing. All, all these articles, I don't see any accusations. We're going to do a ton of this on tomorrow. We'll get to the bottom of what the accusations are. But we see how the media works. We see how they're not to be trusted. Breitbart News Daily. This Ken Paxton story. Read 10 articles, and none of the articles ever said what, why he's being impeached. That maybe they'd be vague, oh, bribery accusations about this real estate guy. And you're like, okay, what? 
<laughs> like what, what bribery? But the fact that so many Republicans in Texas were on board with this led me, led me to believe that there might actually be something here. There may, this may actually be a real impeachable thing. If, if Republicans are like, well, oh, man, Ken, come on, man. All right, that's pretty bad. We have to go against even our own party. But it turns out that there's some, some genuine inter-party uh, arguing <laughs> battle going on here. So what is, what's going on? This? What's the latest with this Texas Attorney General case? Raven Harrison is here to explain. Ken Paxton is the Attorney General of Texas. Very uh, right-wing, pro-Trump, conservative guy. He was impeached in the state of Texas. And now today, or yesterday, and today is his trial. And the trial is in front of the Texas State Senate. The lieutenant governor, Dan Patrick, is the judge. There are 12 House representatives who are overseeing this, a majority of the Republicans. It's, it's a Republican state, so it's Republicans who are doing this against the Republican attorney general. Uh, the, the prosecution has lawyers, the defense has lawyers, and the jurors are the 31 senators, but not one of them. One of them is not a, a juror. Because one of the state senators is Ken Paxton's wife. So she, she has recused herself. She is not participating in the festivities. Uh, and two, my understanding is two-thirds of the state senate need to convict him. So that's 20. But there are 12 Democrats. So eight of the Republicans need to vote to convict him along with the 12 Democrats in order to have a conviction. So that's all I know. Raven Harrison is here. She's a political strategist, former congressional candidate out of Texas. Raven, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm grateful you're here. Thanks for filling in all the cracks here. So did I say anything incorrect, anything you want to amend there? The only thing we amended sounded great was that there are 21. They would have to have 21 votes to convict and remove uh, Ken Paxton. So they would need nine Democrats to join the 12. Uh, are already in yeah. there, and you are correct that okay. uh, Angela Paxton was not able to be considered for this. So she didn't have to recuse herself. She's not able to participate in this because she's married to Ken Paxton. Mm, makes sense. Okay. But everything else, spot on. Great. Tell me, what the, what are the accusations against Ken Paxton, the attorney general? Well, they started out with 16 articles of impeachment, and then they amended later, uh, superseding. That seems to be a common thing with four more. So they stem from bribery and um, very technical wording about abuse of trust. So basically misuse of his office and power and influence for personal gain. And it centers around a few uh, key players, one of which being Nate Paul, who was a realtor and a, a developer, that they are trying to pin the majority of their case to of saying, you know, this guy was peddling influence. And interesting because it would be a heck of a case. The last time impeachment was used was 106 years ago wow. uh, in the Texas Senate. So this is really unprecedented waters. But again, the timing of it seems to stem from, you know, we've got uh, tension among the Republican Party, tension with the upcoming election, and a lot of attention on Texas. But there was an incident with Speaker of the House, Dade Phelan, being um, allegedly intoxicated. Um, Somewhere around uh, the 16th to 19th of May, uh, that Ken Paxton, shortly within that on social media, called for Dave Phelan's resignation uh, due to this incident that was apparently caught on video camera and that all of the House had witnessed. 
Um, shortly after that, he called for Dave Phelan to resign, and within 24 hours of his call for resignation, the articles of impeachment were drafted up. Wait. So that seems to be <laughs> the sequence. On. Wait, what did you say? So who 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 <laughs> was struggling? The Speaker of the House, Dave Phelan, was apparently there was an uh, alleged incident with him being on camera intoxicated while at the gavel. Okay. And Ken Paxton went on social media and various outlets to call for him to resign. Okay. What was first of all? Open your car door. Sorry, when I, had, you're I had the video. I'm pulling the video up uh, of him being drunk. So, do you think he was drunk? <laughs> Well, I saw the video. Um, I, I have to honestly say, uh, I see politicians who act bizarrely all the time. I'm not really sure. Uh, but uh, the, those okay. who witnessed the video, uh, those in Austin said that it was clear there that he was intoxicated. Okay, so if he was, what is the Attorney General Ken Paxton's official role in that? Well, as the top law enforcement officer, I mean, I guess his job would be for accountability and saying, listen, this is you know, unacceptable behavior. It's at the very best unethical and you should resign. And everybody believes that within 24 hours, well, we know that within 24 hours, uh, the rumor started about Ken Paxton being impeached. So that this was forwarded shortly after that. So now what we're looking at is a complete division of protocol in the House. Um, through Memorial Day weekend, this impeachment was uh by whatever standards you, you want to give them, rush through. So they were forced to vote. He had not had his witnesses present. He had not had his attorney present. He did not have a chance to confront his accusers. All of the things are supposed to go prior to this step being taken. He was just removed. Uh, and so what you saw yesterday was the opening arguments of this trial, which has been long awaited, which is probably going to last somewhere from two to three weeks. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so the suggestion here, I think I got the video of the guy, uh, the Speaker of the House, being drunk. Let's see if this is it. Uh, hold on. That's plugged in. And, oh, this one. There it is. <laughs> the amendment is acceptable to the author. Is there objection to the opposite amendment? And the chair has done the amendment. adopted. <laughs> okay. All right. So he was probably... <laughs> he was probably drunk. So you're suggesting, you're suggesting, whatever. Uh, so you're suggesting that this is some sort of retaliation against well, the Attorney General. Well, what I'm General. saying is that was the 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 thought. That is a predominant thought okay. among uh, Republicans in the beginning. It was okay. not my thought. It was there. I was not there to witness the incident. Okay. So, all right. Let's, okay. Point one. All right, let's go to point two. What are the accusations specifically? Yes. Who is Nate Paul, uh, Austin real estate developer? Correct. He's a real estate developer. He is a donator to uh, Ken Paxton's campaign. Doesn't seem like he's his biggest or most profound, but 25, for whatever reason. $25,000 dollars $25,000. Well, considering, I just want to put in context that Ken Paxton has raised millions. So $25,000, and it was donated in 2018. So it wasn't a recent donation. So this centers around, they're saying, bribery, peddling, uh, influence of the office. So the the case that the, the impeachment uh, lawyers would have to prove is what did Nate Paul get for what he supposedly donated to the campaign? So the defense arguments uh, went, uh, opening arguments went into, so you're talking about a campaign donation now constitutes bribery, then everybody in here is going to be impeached. So it was a really contentious, but we're looking at bribery. We're looking at uh, uh, misuse of office. 
and uh, profiting for personal personal gain off of his influence in office. Okay. So that's so, what the the majority of the articles center around. And there are so, six, there are twenty articles of impeachment. Jeez. Okay. It says the House report claims that Mr. Paxton, the Attorney General, intervened yes. in a 2019 federal, I believe, fraud investigation into Mr. Paul's business, releasing law enforcement records that he hoped would aid his supporters' defense. You know what that means? Yes. That is what the actual indictment, one of the articles states. And it was very interesting to see the impeachment lawyers give a kind of summary of the case they were attempting to bring and with the kind of uh, tying cord of nobody's above the law. And the defense actually took aim at specific arguments. They said, listen, we're going to prove, we're going to show that he did not copy this record. He didn't have access to these records. I mean, it was a very, very compelling um, opening argument by the defense of showing how they believe this to be politically motivated. They even referenced a specific thing where, uh, and I apologize, also there was indictments having to do with um, improper firing of whistleblowers and um, retaliation against those who came forward against him were also a couple of articles of impeachment. There are four whistleblowers. So what did they blow the whistle on? Was it this? That one thing you were just mentioning? That's what they're saying. What the uh, impeachment lawyers are saying is these people were Republicans. Uh, They were not um, Paxson's enemies. They had no reason to come forward with this information unless it was true. Okay, that's a compelling argument. the defense came back, that's a compelling argument, very compelling argument. But they went through, there was one example they referenced in particular, which was extremely damaging to this narrative, which was saying that the chief of staff at that time you know, after coming for not coming forward to Ken Paxton with his supposed concerns or allegations, took Ken Paxton's name off of official letterhead and sent out correspondence with only his name on it. And the defense made the argument of going, I don't know in any universe somebody who would keep their job. If you have a grievance against your boss, you first bring it to your 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 boss. If your boss doesn't address your grievance, then you take, you know, other steps, mm. but you don't go through the step of removing your boss's name from official letterhead and then going forward with your name only on it. He goes, he would have been fired in any job in any industry for that behavior. So that does not qualify him as a whistleblower, as more of a disgruntled employee. Ah, and that interesting, was interesting. interesting how that was laid out. Okay. Uh, how about this? Uh, the report also claimed that Mr. Paul funded a renovation of Mr. Paxton's home and hired a woman with whom the attorney general was having an extramarital affair. So this this affair seems to be a center point in it all, which is awkward because his wife is in the Texas Senate, too. Well, I guess, depending on if if there's merit to it, it would be awkward, but you're correct. (laughs) But the defense also took aim at that. They said, listen, this woman applied for a job. She's been doing a job. This woman I'm talking about is Miss Olson, um, has said she's been doing a job as you would hire and apply for any other job. They also claimed that they're going to provide uh, insurance receipts and documentation from USAA about the fact that the the, uh, Paxtons paid for those renovations, that there's no tie, there's no, there's no, no tie. It just, they, the defense strictly said it just didn't happen that wow. they can prove that they paid for their own renovations. They have receipts and 
documentation from the insurance and Home Depot and a bunch of other Whoa. sources. Okay, what about they this affair? How does 25... this play into it? Well, how this plays into it is if you cannot tie, if they paid for their own home renovations, but what the biggest thing is there's been no tie. Now, these are opening arguments, so we still have a, a ways to go, but there's no conclusive tie right now to Nate Hall and the $25,000 he gave in 2018 and the repairs that were done on the home, and they have a, a plethora of witnesses they intend to call to show that, hey, they paid for their own reservations. They have the documentation, the emails, and the proof from their insurance company. So that's going to be an interesting one. Is he admitting? See. Is he admitting that there was an affair somewhere? He is not. Now that one, that aspect of it, they went nowhere near. They talked about we can prove that Nate Paul didn't pay for any of the renovations. Interesting thing is they had emails from Nate Paul saying that he was going to, he thought that the attorney general was doing a horrible job, that he was not investigating these grievances he had, and that he was going to sue him, and so on and so forth. So the defense uh, went to the, the unprecedented length of saying, hey, if this guy <laughs> is bribing doing a horrible job he threatened to sue him yeah, said you're yeah, doing yeah. a horrible job you're not a great ag but yeah. that's not okay. typically how it goes well, when you're bribing somebody i hate to cut you off here raven we got one minute why why are so many republicans on board with this because yesterday there was a vote in the senate to move the trial forward or not and more than 23 total senators said to let's move forward with the trial why are so many republicans from the texas house and the texas senate in, in support of impeachment and, and moving forward. I think that you're seeing true proof, Mike, of the uniparty that everyone talks about, that we are no longer separate, that we have the go-along to get-along Republicans, that we have a lot of uh, uh, chairs, committees that are chaired by Democrat leaders, and that there just seems to be no division among you know, what the parties are fighting for right now, that they all seem to be in bed together. And I think what you're seeing is an establishment Republican standoff against people who are wanting true change and an embrace of conservative and Republican values. Interesting. Because Ken, Ken Paxton is a pretty, right, like, I don't know, what the, what's the right word? <laughs> he's, he's like a Trump he conservative guy. He's a Republican guy. and a conservative, but he's also a very strong Trump supporter, and a lot of people believe it's tied to his support of Trump, that they're coming after anything and anyone who is supportive of President yeah. Trump to remove him for 24. Okay, because he was he was one of the attorney generals who did this uh, like election interference, uh, the post-election lawsuit stuff that maybe people still didn't like. Wow! All right, wonderful and he has analysis. The best record of attorney generals against Biden. Yes, Raven Harrison, Raven underscore TX Warrior, Texas Warrior, Raven Harrison, follower on Twitter, political strategist, former congressional candidate. Raven, well done. Thank you, ma'am. I feel informed. I feel like I got it. I understand what's happening, and now I can watch this trial knowing the context and the background as we move forward. Well done, Raven Harrison. Breitbart News Daily. Want to give you a little extra here with the great Alex Marlowe, his new book, Breaking Biden, available right now for pre-order. And this is our first of many interviews in the next month until October 3rd with Alex as we uncover a little bit more uh, about how to change the narrative about Joe Biden when people know the truth. 
the narrative will certainly change. Here's Alex. Alex, how you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Mike. Thanks for having me on. I, I will share that with book promo and book, um, I guess, marketing, it, it, it amping up the hype machine. There's a lot of games you have to play to get attention. <laughs> I mean, this audience is going to love this book. I promise that. But you do have to play these games in terms of how the best ways to get attention, maintain attention over the period of the sales cycle. And I will say one of the tricks is, is that you don't give very much away early. Mm. So I'm keeping my media schedule incredibly tight right now. I think as of now, this is the only show I'm doing after the announcement yesterday. So this is just for you, the Breitbart audience, the Mike Slater audience. Wonderful. The only people I'm talking to as of now, that's the plan. Um, so Yeah, you got uh, it. Well, this, we appreciate yeah. that. You get, you're right. You got to play the media trickle game mm -hmm. over over how long? Is it, a, is it one month until the big release? Is that when the... Yeah, it's a, it's culminate. a great question, and a lot of people think of it differently. I, I know the publishers would rather you just get out there and be visible and talk about the book because they kind of feel like you can hit more people. Um, I, I, I feel like uh, that Breitbart, our strategy is to try to take it down as close to publishing date as possible because there's actual new information in the book. and. Once it's out and I start telling you guys about some of the bombshells in the book, which which you will certainly hear about when they're when it gets closer to being published, that it becomes very frustrating if you can't read the book right now. So like doing that three months before the book's out, mm. you know, when I stumble on some of the stuff uh, in my research, it, that's kind of cruel to tell the audience, hey, by the way, uh, <laughs> after the the many moons and, uh, you know, three full moon cycles from now. And, <laughs> And uh, are you, well, what, are you what, worried? Yeah. Are you worried about anyone scooping you in the meantime with it? You know what I mean? Always an issue. Always an issue. And um, the biggest scoop I've got in, that I would say that I will share on day one. There's many scoops in it, but the one that I'm reserving for day one, uh, there is no reason no one's found it. And, and, and yeah. th this is the type of stuff of why it's almost enraging. Like when you research things like this and you're like, why has no one found this? Why does no one care about Joe Biden or whatever your subject is enough to go dig this out? Uh, because it is um, uh, it, it is just uh, uh, everyone should know that the story of my in my head, it involves one of the entities that's obviously created to make Joe Biden wealthy and slightly more powerful than he was before he was president. And it, it involves family members. It involves corruption. It's all out there. And no one, no one got it. And I got it. I'm happy to have it. When I share with the audience, you guys are all going to think I'm a little cooler than I already am. <laughs> but but someone else could go get it, and they should, but they won't go get it because that's not how our media is wired. Where can people, I got a lot more questions, obviously, but where can people pre-order right now? Where are you suggesting we do that? Thank you again. Um, yeah, the so uh, I, I guess if I had to choose, I'd pick Amazon just because the vast majority of sales go through Amazon. I, I don't like Amazon any more than any of you guys do. Um, but there is just a way to, if you're going to pre-order, I think it's very easy. And I also, uh, I have no feelings that are positive towards Barnes and Noble. If you don't like Amazon, you know, you know, a, a, a books a million is, is good. There's some others. I love it. But I have no, I have no positive drive towards Barnes and Noble, right? They just yeah. have to be like one kind of 
good thing and maybe we'd be more on their side yeah and and, and they won't it's actually worse because i think they're <laughs> they're crueler their algorithm is crueler to conservative books and particularly my book um, breaking the news did much better on amazon than barnes and noble and so that's my only data point all they have to do is say that um you know we don't hate the right as much as amazon does and, and our whole side might just right. be all in we'd all love barnes and noble i'm a barnes and noble shopper i have a great barnes and noble in my neighborhood they they displayed my uh my book my first book breaking the news very prominently uh, it's a but you know their algorithm online is not that good so i'm not gonna you know tell people to go over there they might not find it so um but amazon one thing that's very fun um is that they're they have all these charts and because they're not as cruel to conservatives as other big tech oligarchs you can win on those charts mm. so like for example yesterday my book got to the number one book in movers and shakers which is the highest acceleration book it got to the number one in several categories including executive government um a politicalism and liberalism um it got to the, the number three in politics overall and number 23 overall. So of all the books that have ever been published, it got up to, n to number 23. By the way, Mike, entirely based off of one Breitbart article. Oh, it nice. just shows you how powerful the Breitbart audience is. Yep. You just say this book is going to be out there and, and the Breitbart audience is there. Uh, but it's the, it's the, it, the Barnes & Noble, the, the, I've never seen them do that. And certainly no other big tech platform would allow for that. Not to say Amazon's that great. Uh, they're just not as horrible as some of the others is my point. So I went to the Barnes and Noble website, looked for your book. It's it's labeled as a bestseller. Uh, someone left someone left a two star review. Um, someone left a two star review already. I'm breaking Biden. Yeah, that is so funny. <laughs> Book's not out yet. Wow. Oh wow. That's How's really that good. work? They're not supposed to be able to do that. They're yeah. not supposed to be able yeah. to. <laughs> so, so, but so. this is my point. Is that is it? Like, well, <laughs> But I love the two stars. I've always said this. If yeah. Okay, this is for all the trolls in the audience, and I know there are many of you who are not a huge fan of mine who've just tolerated me over the years. If you want to hurt my feelings, don't leave a one-star review. And probably don't leave a two-star review. Leave a three-star. Mm. It shows that I bothered to read it. Like, <laughs> well, Clearly, it wasn't terrible. I mean, it's a major <laughs> publisher. Alex isn't a total idiot. Like, It's not a terrible book. But here are all the things I didn't like about it. Yeah. If, you start, if you start like that, or if you start with, I was really disappointed. In this uh, book, I had high hopes. Uh, and it wasn't more that great, Alex. Yes, yeah. that, I've known that's, Alex for many years. Exactly, and, and his <laughs> his shows are fine, and the website's pretty good. But this book is just—it's just—it's not that great. That uh, is like a dagger. That's way a dagger. more than what a hack this guy always is, always has. But I haven't even read the book, and I'm giving it one star. The, this sense. is what, and and I love this conversation because you know we put out a a. Um, uh, a, a big article at Breitbart yesterday, as you guys all noticed, which I um, uh, it, it, and I appreciate some of you in the audience sending it to me and saying congrats, all that stuff uh, means a lot. Uh, but it's the it got a lot of comments, fifty three hundred comments. So obviously not all of those are going to be Alex is the greatest guy ever. So I was prepared for that. All the ones that are uh, Alex is dumb, Alex is stupid, Alex is soft, Alex is corrupt, Alex has a bad cookie duster, it's not very good. Like it's it's a mustache looks stupid. None of that stuff affects me at all. Like it's not you're not going to get to me with that. It's only the I read it and I'm disappointed. It's the only way you can hurt me. So there's your hot tip. And for no that. one can even do that yet because it's not out yet. So exactly at least right. Hold back on that comment as you're, I, I as you're waiting have in it. the chamber. It's bleeding fresh. That's the whole point of these things is that we're trying to get them out as fast. The second I can, I'm done. We try to go to the printer as fast as we can and get it out as fast as we can. That's how it goes or else it's going to get, we want it to be as fresh as possible. 
Breaking Biden is what it's called. So search for it wherever books are sold. Breaking Biden, exposing the hidden forces and secret money machine behind Joe Biden, his family, and his administration. So why spend so much time, Alex, on on him, on this topic? Why, why does this matter to you? Where was your passion behind it? Um, I'll sum it up in something that we're going to do, the, the one promotional little thing I'm, I've, I want to do today. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll sum it up this way. Politico put out uh, a, a two articles yesterday that were interesting. Um, the first article, literally the headline is Biden books are still bombing. And uh, the subheader was that the 46th president isn't quite the publishing house dream that his predecessor was. Hmm. And so so th- they've announced Biden books. No one wants them. What effect does that have, Mike? It, it has an effect. It, it discourages people from investigating the president. That's what that's what they're doing. They're openly the media is openly doing that. There also is a positive Biden book that came out yesterday called The Last Politician, which has all these interviews with uh, administration officials. And it just I haven't read it. I will read it because I make a point to read all the Biden books um, for obvious reasons. And uh, the it looks like a wet kiss. I haven't read it in the 24 <laughs> hours it's been out. It, it, it does. It, just, it looks like a wet kiss to Joe Biden. Um, and uh, I, you can do the math in which body part. Per, they're giving him the wet kiss. Um, and the the it, it's a, who wants this stuff? Uh, a few people do. But I'll tell you, that book is on shelves. And we put up one article on Breitbart yesterday about my book, which no one's read, other than me, Peter Schweitzer, and, you know, my researchers. Because um, I did it as a, a GAI fellow, for those of you who are interested, which is very cool. So I have Peter's uh, imprimatur behind it, which means a lot to me. Um, and uh, my book, which is really our book, because again, no one's read it, it's just the strength of the Breitbart audience, jumps ahead of the last politician to number 23 on Amazon and the top book in executive government, and etc. It debunks the Politico headline right away. And it shows you that there is some interest in figuring out this guy. And there should be. Because the Sleepy Joe branding was inaccurate. The Sleepy Joe branding makes no sense. He's not Sleepy Joe. He's not just hanging out in his basement. He has, since he was a child, wanted to be president and has tried to do whatever it took to be president. And if you think he's standing aside and he's not going to do everything he can to implement as much of his agenda as he can between now and the day they kick him out of office physically or he turns out or, you know, God forbid, passes away, he's going to be fighting every day to savor the moment. And we all miss that. And I break down why we missed it. And because we were so busy doing the Sleepy Joe branding and blowing him off, all the bad stuff he was doing, not just to personally enrich himself, but also policy-wise, that we all acted like was not very interesting. This is a huge mistake the right has made, and I think now it's time to, to, to talk about it, to talk about the truth, that he is a singularly corrupt and a singularly devastating influence on American politics and American life, and no one has told that full story. And people just left this entire... A lane open for me to run through, and that's what I did. <laughs> You're so right about Sleepy Joe, and even prior to that, the the Uncle Joe, the aw shucks Uncle Joe, tells goofy stories and has all the gaffes kind of guy, and we think he just stumbled upon yes. uh, the head of the Judiciary Committee, and 
and vice president what, and, and then did horrific things while there. And then Clarence Thomas spoke about how which per, is what per, a, what perfect. A wicked per, person. I, one of, one of the parts of the book that I do think is essential is going, noting how Joe Biden, who was a, an objectively horrible law student and barely used his law degree, all the, the details of that stuff are hilarious and mind-blowing in the book, but he barely got through law school, never used his law degree, gets to the head of the Senate Judiciary Committee and becomes one of the crucial people in the last hundred years in shaping our Supreme Court. It, when you think about the borking of Robert Bork, uh, it, it's the 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 intellectual, the, the mind of Robert Bork was so far vast, vastly superior to Joe Biden's, and Joe Biden kept him off the court, and because of that, uh, we uh, end up getting uh, a judiciary that was much more liberal because of that move, because of Joe Biden, and then he tried to do the exact same playbook with Clarence Thomas. Luckily, they had much worse results, but that also set the tone for the demonizing of Clarence Thomas for the rest of his life, a playbook that was applied to others on the court, such as Justice Kavanaugh. And when you think about it, like Joe Biden did all that. It's not Sleepy Joe. That is corrupt, awful, super ambitious Joe that we still have right now in the office. The plagiarism from law school that's yeah that still kind of even fits in the the aw shucks uncle joe yeah. category <laughs> right yeah uh but the fact he was able to talk his way out of it shows what a slick guy he always has been he's always yeah, been he, slick he, he's far slicker than people giving him credit for and he definitely steers into the avuncular gaff guy all, all, all of the gaffs which of course i mentioned a million of them just for the sake of fun uh, within the book because I, I do want to be entertaining. It's not a textbook. I do want everyone to enjoy reading it. And it is hilarious and enjoyable to read the gaffes. But we've way overdone it because the the it has allowed him to skirt on massive character issues because we treat it as though he's absent-minded. Um, but the plagiarism isn't just confined to college. Uh, it was extensive on the campaign trail. And there are other character issues that come up throughout the book that I will share when we get closer to, to publication date. Um, but people have never realized that some of just the, uh, what goes through his mind is not pure stuff, mm. as people can imagine. The book's and breaking, I, I sh- sorry, yeah. breaking Biden, exposing the hidden forces and secret money machine behind Joe Biden and his family's administration by Alex Marlowe. Pre-order right now. It's available on October 3rd. So go pre-order it immediately. Let's get it higher up on the charts, get more attention, etc. What do we know or what, may I word it like this? Now I'll do that. What do we know about Bo Biden? And does that yeah, matter? It, it, it does. Um, and there's a couple of uh, important points that do come up in the book, and I, I, don't, I'm, I don't mind sharing some of them. But what's interesting about Bo is that Joe hasn't just wanted to be president. He's an ambitious guy. Um, he has wanted a dynasty. And uh-huh. the dynasty uh, pretty much was going to be dependent on Bo. Um, because obviously Hunter was not going to, you know, be able to carry on the dynasty. And when you get to know the cast of characters that make up the rest of the Biden family, uh, they're uh, every bit as bad as you've read in the news. And I unearth more details that will shock and appall all of you. So the whole trick to Biden being able to fulfill one of his dreams, which is to not just be president, but to have a Kennedy-esque dynasty. And I back all this up with, cold hard facts. Um, it was going to be dependent on Bo. 
And Bo seemed by and large like a good guy. I think, you know, on a personal level, I did not write this in the book because I didn't think it was important. But on a personal level, I think he might have been a little overrated by the media uh, as a politician. But it seemed like it seemed like a good guy who was mostly in it for the right reasons and uh, seemed to have some some character. And I found almost nothing negative to say about Bo uh, it, during the process. And um, he was going to be the one, and I'll tell you, Mike, is very high likelihood if he had not died of brain cancer, then he'd be president today. There's a very good chance. And if not, he'd be waiting in the wings. He might even be running this time. Um, And he was on a glide path completely. The media would have protected him and his, uh, his background uh, was solid enough. The media would have been able to get him through very easily. And so he's not here. And it was very devastating for me uh, to have to relive having to read so much material on Biden's life, having to relive his cancer death uh, over and over and over again is very painful. And it's one of the couple of humanizing moments for Joe, um, because you could see that he is a family guy. He does care deeply about his family. Uh, And it is one of the things that is he's used it for his political advantage a lot. Uh, But it's one of the few elements of the book where you do feel like this is a real human being and not just some sort of uh, 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 automaton. I want to ask that because I, I can't, I couldn't tell if nothing ever ba- bad was said about Bo Biden, who, by the way, is yeah. Joe Biden the third, which maybe sure. I don't want to read too much into it, but ties a little bit in perhaps to your dynasty view. Yeah, uh, I think. But I wasn't sure if you couldn't say anything bad about him because you can't say anything bad about someone who dies of brain cancer at forty six, or if oh he was actually maybe the best of what Joe Biden could have been in all the genuine real ways. Yeah, I, I think that this is it, it is a really interesting question because um, it's I did not find much negative to say about him. Other than that, I don't think he pieced together a record that was particularly outstanding. Um, and I don't I didn't see any particularly shockingly dramatic gifts or accomplishments. Uh, but overall, I saw very few problems and I saw someone who seemed to manage his own career very well. Okay. And he's surrounded by a bunch of, you know, crazy people uh, for 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 lack of a better expression. <laughs> um, you know, his best friend's Hunter. I mean, they're 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 thick as thieves. And it has been since he was a little boy and he survived the death of his mom when he was a, a young guy. And um, he seemed to have a good attitude. He had a family of his own. And yeah, so I think a lot of it is the media probably saw a little bit of what I came to realize while uh, researching the book, which is that, oh, yeah, they're going to they're, they're going to anoint this guy one day. One day, this guy's going to tap on the shoulder and he's going to they're going to say, you are president now. Uh, and that's and that that's what would have happened had he lived. OK, uh, I got about two minutes here. My last question is what kind of what kind of work? Did you have to put into this? And I ask because I am not an investigative journalist. That's just not a skill set that I am or have. Yeah. So what kind of research and reporting did you have to do to make this happen? Uh, I'll do a brief version. I'd love to talk more about this. We get closer to to publication date. But I will tell you that uh, due to the success of breaking the news, uh, which, again, I thank this audience profusely for that, I was able to expand my research team um, from one person to five people. So I had a team of five people, all past or um, present associates with Peter Schweitzer. So these are the highest trained, best equipped investigators in the game. So the amount of investigation, the amount of material I was able to gather uh, dwarfs breaking the news, not even close. 
and it you can see it based on the 1600 endnotes that are in the book. And I'll, I'll tell you, Mike, I probably cut 30, 40,000 words, maybe more, maybe 50,000 words, that, that, which is almost like a whole book um, uh, in the process just to make it not too overwhelming to read because I want people to enjoy the book. Um, so it is government documents. It is primary source documents. It's decades old media accounts. It's going through uh, the committee reports, everything you can imagine. Plus, of course, all of the Breitbart greatest hits on Biden's corruption and the gaffes, et cetera. All of that's in there and going through it and then the process of curating it and writing it in an in interesting way. That's what goes into it. It's incredibly time consuming, but ultimately I think it's rewarding. And if people want to support, I, I would love it if you went to Amazon and picked up 30,000 copies right now. It would be very helpful uh, to me. And I think it'll help it beat all of those pro-Biden books that Politico wants to anoint as, uh, as, as really, really important. Breaking Biden. Go get it now. Exposing the hidden forces and secret money machine behind Joe Biden and his family's administration. But just look for Breaking Biden by Alex Marla. Thanks, Alex. Mike, appreciate you so much. Well done, man. Can't wait to talk a lot about this book as we get closer and expose more. And every time another uh, thing comes out, we'll, of course, be covering it first uh, and on Breitbart.com. Breaking Biden, Alex Marla. Let's see a huge pop in the sales right now. Breaking Biden. Anywhere books are sold. Breaking Biden. Alex Marlowe. Spread the word. I'm American made. I got American parts. I got American. Hey, thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily today. On tomorrow's show, Dr. Sebastian Gorka is going to be here at 8 o'clock. And then Senator Marsha Blackburn will be here at 830. We'll be there at 6, though. Hopefully you can join us then. Spread the word. In my eyes, I'm in love.